0: All right, good morning. It's good to be here with you. Let's begin by looking at the scripture. I'm going to start with Psalm 42. It's my hope that God will speak to us today and help us know his heart. Psalm 42, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they continually say to me, where is your God? In Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? In Paul's words in Acts 17, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life and breath and all things, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from one of us. Lord, help us over these next few minutes to hear your word. Quiet our spirit, open our ears, let us know the word of the Lord. Let us be able to answer this question, Lord. When we hear it ringing in our ears, where is your God? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1995, I took my young family to an art museum in Chicago, and while we were walking around the exhibits and the galleries, I happened upon a room with high ceilings and blank walls, But on the floor, there were what looked like gravestone markers, if you know what I mean, like uh, granite flat stones on the ground with two words etched in each one of them. Behind you, above you, beside you, before you, beneath you. It was a bit creepy, and I thought to myself, well, that's weird. Like you'd read that first one behind you, and you'd turn around, there'd be some scary clown or some... Axe-wielding ghoul was going to get you, and, but it didn't have any other meaning besides that. And as far as art was concerned, all I could see was a big blank room. So I looked at my wife, Judy, and I said, what do you think this artist is trying to say to us? And she said, the artist is trying to express that we perceive the world in relationship to ourselves. Oh, I said, well, that's a bit selfish. Selfish. But long after that visit to the museum, I could not shake that exhibit. It really stuck with me. And in time, I came to realize that this rather stark and barren exhibit actually told me more about God than it did about myself. This fundamental question, where is God? Now, the traditional theological answer for this question is that, he, that God has been close to the righteous and he is far from the unrighteous. From that, we've then assumed that the proximity of God is directly related to the condition of one's heart. Or even worse, that God's proximity is somehow governed by how we feel. We've all cried this out, haven't we? Where is God? Or we've cried out, I'm so far away from God. But the truth is, I'm not. We feel the pressure, and it's the devil that's behind it, I tell you. And we wonder, where is God in all of this mess, all the messiness of our lives? Where is God in all of this? In Psalm 139, the psalmist concludes, there is nowhere we can go that God is not right there with us. And Paul directly states he is not far from any one of us. But no matter how clear scripture has been on this matter, we nonetheless continue to believe that the proximity is related to condition. Somehow God's proximity is related to my condition. Now I can point to a verse that directly states that if I regard iniquity in my heart, God does not hear me. Psalm 66. But the problem is not that God is so far away that he cannot hear me, but rather that he is resisting me because I'm proud. James 4 says it. God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. But in order for God to resist on one hand or provide on the other hand, it means he's standing right there doing it. God is right there in your mess, applying one or the other at any given time. So it's not about, oh, he's so far away from me, can't hear me, but rather he's right here in my world. You see, in this world, I'm bound by gravity, time and space. I I cannot escape the dimensional world in which I exist. Right now, I'm about 20 feet from the front row of this audience, but The kingdom of God has no such rules. God rules in a kingdom that's right here, right now. I want you to say that with me. Right here, right now. That's where God is in relationship to us. But since we cannot truly understand the world in which he exists, he paints for us a a picture, a spatial one. One that has dimension using time and space. Now you may be thinking, "Well, if he's so near, then where he is?" Or worse, we know, we know that it's going to be the devil behind this, this thought, that if there is a God, that he's got a lot of explaining to do. He needs to come down here and explain to me why he's let this happen and that happen, and this thing occur and that thing occur. You may be thinking, "Well, if he's so near, then where he is?" Well, Scripture tells us quite plainly where he is. Number one, God is above me. In Joshua 2, Rahab of Jericho told the Hebrew spies, For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above. Can you imagine a woman from a heathen culture schooling a people that ought to know where their God is? But she does it. She does it in such amazing fashion. She ends up marrying into the family. And some of you may not realize this, but he, she becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David. Talk about somebody influential in the world. God moves through this woman to speak to us this simple truth. God is in heaven above. He sits upon his throne and he rules over everything you can possibly imagine. From his vantage point, distance between where you are and where you need to be is not as far as you think it is. Now, in your academic pursuits, there's no doubt some of you might be thinking, well, I've got 15 classes still to go. It's going to be a long time although i can imagine there are a few of you that are thinking right about now i wish there was only 15 classes between me and there Or some of you are thinking it's just six classes to go, but it's just a mountain to climb. Or I've got my senior project, and I don't even know where to begin. It's just so big. But do you realize, friends, that God can measure the distance between where you are and where you need to be with just his thumb and his index finger? Everybody look up this way. You think it's so far between where you are and where you need to be, and God says, no, it's not. It's just about that far. Our youngest son graduated from this university in, uh, just a few years ago. And a week before, it wasn't seven days before graduation, he said, I don't feel prepared. I don't feel like I know anything. Who's going to want to hire me? I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. And I just said, son, calm down. God's going to reveal all these things in his good pleasure and in his own time. But you just keep seeking. You keep knocking. You keep looking. Because the distance of where you are and where you need to be is not as far as you think. It wasn't five days and he met a pastor that said, Joel, we want you to come to our church and be the director of communications for us. He said, well, don't you want to interview me first? The pastor said, well, I'll interview you and you can come down. We'll treat you real nice. But God's already spoken in my heart and I know you're supposed to come. And he thought to himself, is that even possible? What just happened? Friend, I'm telling you, God knows where you are and where you need to be. And he can measure it with just Two fingers. He sits upon a throne, and he rules over everything. In the year 390, a son was born to a well-to-do family in Britain, and they called him Patrick. You've heard of him as St. Patrick, but most of what you know about him is a perversion of the truth. He had nothing to do with leprechauns. And no, I, no, I had a student tell me, Oh, yeah, Patrick, his family started a company that invented uh, uh, Lucky Charms. Uh, no! Now, I agree, they're magically delicious. I, I agree. They're awesome. But he didn't have anything to do with that. He didn't drive the snakes out of Ireland. He, he never invented a bagpipe. He, 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 he never drank green beer unless it was putrefied. Not intentionally, anyway. And even though up in Chicago, I know they dye the canal green on March 17th, and they celebrate, and they revel, and they drink until they can drink no more. But that has nothing to do with the life of Patrick. According to his confessions, his father was a deacon and his grandfather a priest in the British church. Just prior to turning 16, he was abducted by Irish pirates, taken to the western coast of Ireland, where he spent six years as a slave, tending cattle on a lonely rocky edge. He was forced into a life he had never known isolated, alone, afraid, helpless, and hopeless. And it was here that he would surrender his heart to God. Even though he grew up in a minister's home, he still did not know God. And by his own confession in his work known as uh, the Confession of St. Patrick, he writes, I didn't know him, but I found him in that lonely An isolated world. One night he managed to escape. And he made his way to the eastern coast. By his uh, count, it was over 200 miles. And somehow found a boat crew that would take him across the Irish Sea to Britain. He said it took three days by boat. And finally, just to the edge of civilization, he said 28 days across the wilderness before we ever saw a living soul once we arrived in Britain. He finally makes his way back to his family. By, by some estimations, it could have been as much as 500 miles from where he started to where he needed to be. Now, just imagine. Now, today we get in a car, we drive, but hey, 500 miles is a long way even in a car. It still takes all day getting ready, going, and being there. And you're wore out when you've done it, but can you imagine having to do it by foot when every person you could pass could potentially do the same thing that happened to you six years before? He was afraid, but God brought him all the way back. He made his way back to his family. And a few years, within a few years, he had committed himself to the ministry of the church, first as a deacon and then as a priest, before being appointed his own area of churches as a bishop in the British church. Do you see? God had his hand on Patrick, and no distance could prevent the calling on his life. God said above his circumstances, he is above. Everybody say that. He is above. Say it. That's right, number two, God is with me. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, we find the angel of the Lord comes and appears to Joseph, and he says, Joseph, your fiancé, Mary is pregnant. She's going to give birth to a son. You're going to name him Jesus. And it will fulfill what the prophet said. Look, the virgin will conceive a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, everybody say it, God with us. There simply is no way to truly commit our way to him unless we know that he is with us. Otherwise, we'll always hold something back. If you're not sure God is with you, then you're always going to reserve a certain amount of, hey, I need to rely on myself. I need to to have some other backup plan. I need this. I need that. And there's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with thinking about the future. But uh, friends, to be honest, if If you can't say that you know he's with you, then you're always going to hold something back. Patrick had a dream while making that arduous journey back to his family. And in this dream, a giant boulder rolled out and rolled right over and crushed him to the ground. And he was paralyzed. He could not move. And in that desperate moment, as the sun beat down on him, he cries out, Elias, Elias. And and just like they did for Jesus when he cries this out, they said, oh, I think he's calling for Elijah. Let's see if Elijah the prophet comes and separates him. But we know from the translation that that is not what Jesus, he said, my God, my God. And many people have done the same thing with the translation from uh, uh, Patrick's very poor Latin into English. But I think he's doing the same thing. He fell under that rock. He's pinned. And he cries out, my God, my God. And in that moment, the hand of the Lord comes down and touches him. He feels his senses come back in his arm. He gets up on his feet. The rock doesn't move. He just gets up through it. And he knows from that moment forward that God is with him. After being reunited with his family, he had another dream in which a man from Ireland brought a bag of letters. Have you ever had a dream that's so real you even hear the names of people? He hears the name of this Irishman named Victoricus was his name. Of all things, he says, I I saw this man come in. He had a big bag and he came and he dumped it out on the table and it was all these letters. And I began to grab them and began to open them. And I could hear in the Irish voice, in their own dialect, as I read the first line, we beg you, holy boy, to come and walk among us again. Can you imagine having been a prisoner, a slave, abducted from your family at a young age, only to receive a dream that they're calling, begging you to come back and help them. Can you imagine? This was fulfilled many years later when the church made him a bishop. And there was one little problem, though. He must go back to Ireland in order to claim his bishopric. Hey, Patrick, I can just imagine this. We've got some good news. We're going to promote you to bishop. Oh, that's good. There's one little problem. You have to go back to Ireland to do it. Oh, that's bad. But you know, all of life is like that. There's going to be good and there's going to be bad. It's going to come to you and you're going to wonder, well, God must be in the good. But sometimes God's in the bad also. Because we just don't have enough detail to know what's good and bad. And so it comes to pass that we have good and bad. Judy pointed out something very profound to me one day. We were talking about good and bad. And she said, you know, it comes to pass. And I'm like, well, duh, yeah, I know. It's like inevitable. You, It's like fate. You can't stop it. Here it comes. She, no, no. It comes to pass. Bad comes into your life, but it comes to pass. It's, it's God's going to pass it away. He's going to move it out of the way. Patrick could take the good with the bad because it had already been revealed to him. He knew God was with him. And when you know God is with you, It doesn't matter if it's this or that, one thing or another. It's just all part of the path walking with Jesus. Number three, God is before me. In Exodus we read, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them, and by night in a pillar of fire, he guides them with light. Is that not extraordinary? God went before them. God is out front. He if he's anywhere, he's out front because he's just saying, hey, come on. Come on. What a great encourager. Sometimes he gets a little too far out for me. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, I can't keep up. And he's like, sure you can. Come on. Just step everywhere I stepped. Come on. Just keep coming on. You know, Jesus is the kind of leader that remembers those people that are behind him following. Have you ever been with a group of friends and uh, uh, you're, you're talking, and you say, hey, let's go to this one place. Does anybody know where it is? Somebody starts to get their phone, and somebody, uh, one genius says, hey, just follow me. I know right where to go. I know where to park. Okay, so we all jump in our cars, and we're following the lead car, and all of a sudden, we come up to a stoplight. You see it coming, don't you? And the light turns yellow, and they're thinking, I can make it. And they run through that light and leave you and everybody else behind. What a poor leader it is when they can't recognize the yellow light. You know, Actually, that illustration's got some legs. Somebody needs to take that. Yellow lights and bad leadership. Somebody needs to take that and preach a good sermon on it. Well, I'll tell you what, Jesus is not like that. When he sees a yellow light, he knows I can make it, but they can't. So I'm going to wait. And just think about that. Just let that sink into your heart. He never gets so far out that he leaves you behind. God is before me. Number four, God is behind me. The prophet Isaiah said, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it whenever you need to turn right or whenever you need to turn left. He stands behind me. Just like in a national park, forest rangers always leave a sign when one is needed. You've been to a park and there's trails and then there's a fork in the path and you start looking for, well, which way is the one to the waterfall? And there's no sign. Well, friends, you know what? In most instances, you just blaze the trail. Take the path that looks best to you. And I, I, I tell you this example, this illustration is one of the most profound things I hope I can impart to you because some of you are living under extreme bondage because you're thinking, there's only one thing I can do. There's only one place I'm supposed to go. There's only one, one person that I can marry and ever be happy with. And if I miss it, well, just too bad. You missed out on God's plan. And some people live their whole lives fearful of that. But let me tell you what. Life as a Christian is the most intricate walk between, the most intricate interplay between free will and direct intervention. Because for most instances, you're going to get a left and a right. This thing or that thing? And you're like, Lord, which one should I take? shh. You hear nothing. Just shh, You hear quiet, you know. And so you decide, well, I think I'll go left because why? Well, it just looks like the best opportunity. Do you realize, friend, in those moments God entrusts you to make the right choice? He's, oh, I'm not sure you can do that. Yeah, he's absolutely sure you should do it because for you and me it's not is that the right thing or is that the right thing? The right question to ask is will I serve the Lord with gladness? Will I give him glory no matter what I do? And once you settle in that, it's blazed the trail. But if there's a time When you come upon a fork in your life, a path, split right here, and you're trying to decide, should I go left or should I go right? If it matters, the Lord will step right up and say, take the right path. You need to go left. But Lord, the way to the left looks dangerous. It's less money. It's less security. I'm out of my comfort zone with it. Take the left. Yes, Lord. And we take the left. And maybe it's hard, maybe it's difficult, but he's right there. He's right there behind me pointing the way. He's showing me this is what you can do. You will encounter many forks in the road of life. And for the most part, you can just choose whichever path looks best to you. But when it's crucial that you know, you can count on God to provide a sign when one is needed. But you may ask, well, what if I stumble? What if I make a mistake? What if I make a wrong choice? No worries because number five, God is under me. In Deuteronomy, we read the eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Like a parent carrying a child. You know, we've all carried our children. Maybe you've heard the much-used poem, Footprints. Well, speaking of carrying you, here's a funny spin on a classic. You see on the left panel, where you see the set of footprints is where I carried you, and you see how happy he is. But look at the other side. That long groove is where I dragged you, keeping and screaming. Every parent has had to carry a child that's throwing a tantrum, but guess what? We, we don't abandon them because they're our children, and that's how God is with us. I remember uh, as a, uh, our first child as a young father. My wife was still nursing him, and, but we had an agreement. I'll get up and do the 2 a.m. feeding, so she would prepare the bottle and have it ready for me, and sure enough, 2 or 3 in the morning, ah, he's throwing a fit. I'd go in there, get him up, and go in the living room, keep the lights as low, feed him that bottle, and then burp him. And then he threw a fit. He was upset. I, I couldn't get comfortable. He was squirming and scrawling. And I was almost at my wit's end. It's the middle of the night. You're sleep deprived by then anyway. And I took him and I just set him down on the floor and looked at him like, what do you want? And he let out one of those kind of cries, you know, where it starts really loud and then there's no sound whatsoever. And it's just, you know, just the face open. And then he sucks back in. Wah! <laughs> it's like that. And I, I couldn't help myself. I began to weep. I reached down and grabbed him and brought him up. It's okay, son. Because you know, a parent just can't help holding a child that's throwing a fit. But even when we do, you can know that he carries you because God is under you. He's so close, he'll catch you even when you stumble and fall. Because, number six, God is in me. In Colossians, we read, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope and assurance that Patrick had in the nearness of God drove him right back into Ireland into a place of his captivity, into a place of torment and suffering. But he knew the Lord was with him. He knew the Lord was under him. He knew Christ was in him, and he made that trek no matter what it took. Armed with this spatial sense of Christ's presence, Patrick was able to win thousands of Irish to Christ and let God take a frightened, lonely, and confused young man whose life would end up laying the foundations for Irish Christianity for the next 1,000 years. Now, we should be so fortunate that whatever you go from this place and do, that you make an impact in the world that lasts for 10 years. A lot of you will do this. You'll, you'll, you'll be innovative. You'll start new approaches to business. You'll You'll develop new techniques for whatever trade or craft you're in. Or you'll go in the ministry and you'll, you'll preach a sermon that'll touch people. And they'll remember it for 10 years. They'll come back and say, I've never forgot that sermon. Well, good for you. But there's going to be maybe just a few, maybe a handful, who are going to touch the world and leave an impact for 100 years. Now think of that. If you were able to leave an imprint in this world where you left something for 100 years, can you imagine someone like this uneducated poorly educated because he most of his formative years he spent away he was not able to to achieve the education he needed but god was able to use him to leave a direct imprint in Irish Christianity for the next thousand years. Now, of course, we know Ireland has many unsaved people. and We've got missionaries there. I think we have a student here whose parents are in Ireland. And we need people to go all over the world. But we need people who can go and bury their lives in soil and make an impact for a thousand years Should Jesus. Terry, can you imagine such a thing? Christ in him. His life inspired an 8th century Irish hymn known as the Breastplate of St. Patrick. I want us to do it as a congregational reading, at least a fragment from stanza 7. So I'll read the first line and then you join me, all right? Christ sh- shield me today against all harm. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. And Christ on my left. Let's don't ever forget it. Finally, where is your God? Well, what have we learned? Number seven, God surrounds me. I want the worship team to come. Join me back on the platform. God's about to sink something in your soul. that's going to change you and set you free. Number seven, God surrounds me. The psalmist says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Elisha and his servant awoke early one morning to discover that the army of Syria had surrounded their village to capture them, or worse, kill them. In a moment of panic, the servant cries out to Elisha, Can't you see we're goners? And then excuses himself to go change his underpants. Some of you are thinking, does it really say that? Well, you'll have to read it. But for now, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. He's scared out of his mind. He's scared. He's afraid. But Elisha says to him, it may look like we're surrounded. Come on, somebody. It may look like we're surrounded, but it only appears that way. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the servant to see that the mountain around them was full of horses and chariots of fire. It may look like I'm surrounded, but actually it's the other way around. I'm not surrounded by my enemies. I'm surrounded by my Lord. I'm surrounded by our Savior, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He encamps around those. He surrounds them like the mountains surround Jerusalem. So what's our response to all this? It's our enemy, the devil, that cries out, where is your God? If you ever hear it, you ever ask it, or you ever say, I feel so far away from God, you know the devil's behind it. One, you learned it right here today, but another, you know it's a lie because the scriptures tell us God is not far away. He's right here around us. He isolates us and we feel alone, but it only seems that way. So what am I telling you to do? Stand up on your feet. It's in those moments that we need to straighten up. Everybody just stand up as straight as you can. Not all slouched over and... Stand up straight. And we need to cry out, Devil, get off my back. My God is right here, right now. My God surrounds me. Devil, get off my back. Say it with me. My God is right here, right now. My God surrounds me. Lord, we lift up our hands. The worship team's going to lead us. Let's let the freedom of Christ break out in this room. God is all around us. It may look, yes, it may look like I'm surrounded. But I'm surrounded by you. Come on, sing it. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm su- Yeah, pick it up a little, do it again. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by Oh yeah, come on. It may look like I'm surrounded. Let's sing it again. Yes, Lord, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Woo! It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Yeah, they may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm so. Jesus, let it go deep inside. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I. This is how. This is how. Yes.